Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we have part 42 of our look into the Gospel of John. And today we'll be featuring one of the members of our teaching team, Penny Murray. She's going to be speaking on Mary's anointing of Jesus at the dinner table uh, a few days before Jesus goes to the cross. It's a really good message, lots of good stuff in here from Penny. We've got lots of great things happening at North Shore Vineyard Church coming up, so check out our website, northshorevineyard.org, for info on a family outing we have coming up in a couple of weeks, as well as some planned activities for the youth. You can check us out on the web for that, northshorevineyard.org. But for now, let's head over to the talk, North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. Turn to John chapter 12, and I'm going to start reading at verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet, and she wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. You know, one of the things not many people know about me, unless you've known me for a good while, is that I have an incredibly hard time meeting new people and making new friends. And it's not that I don't want new friends, because I do, but there's something about that initial thing where you meet somebody and you have to do small talk and you're trying to connect and oh I just I clam up it is just so awkward for me and I've had to learn to compensate for this but when I was a kid it was so bad when I was four years old my family moved to a new town and I knew no one and I was lonely and I really wanted some kids to play with so I came up with this plan this brilliant plan in my four-year-old mind, I was going to advertise, and then was going to give out an incentive. Had it all worked out. So I got this poster board, and it said, all good kids get free candy here on Tuesdays, because you got to put some boundaries out. I mean, let's be realistic. (laughs) I, I pictured this stampede of kids running down my street, And I got my sign and my bag of candy, and I went out to the edge of the driveway, and I just waited. And I don't know, it was like a total flop. One kid, maybe one kid. Mom says no one. No one came. It was very sad, very pathetic. Little Penny. Two years later, first grade, I am still just, I don't know, I was just socially awkward. At home, I talked all the time. They had no idea for a while, but I would go to school and just nothing. And finally, one night, my mom is tucking me into bed, 
And I start to tell her that I don't really have anyone to play with. And I ask her if we can pray. Can, can we ask God to send me a friend? Isn't this silly? Like, even now. So we do. <laughs> we pray. And I know my mom was just so brokenhearted, and she was dying to, like, call up another mother and be like, hey, could you make your kid play with Penny tomorrow? That would be great. But something just held her back and told her, just, just wait. So my mom continued to pray. And the next day, I was so excited because I just I knew God was going to send me a friend. And at lunchtime, I could hardly eat. They were even doing this, like, special ice cream dessert. But I, I couldn't touch it. I had to just throw away my tray. And I go running outside. And even now, I can distinctly remember looking down, and my shoe was untied. So I bend down, and I'm tying my lace. And when I look up, there's this whole group of little girls, and they're holding hands, and they come running up. And they said, Penny, Penny, come and play with us. And they picked me up, and we just ran off together. And that day when I got home, I was so excited. I just I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to tell my mom what God had done. And every once in a while, this story will come back up. In fact, a week ago, we're on the phone, and I, I don't even remember why, but the story came back up, and we told it again, and we remembered. And I think we all have stories like these. For me, they have become altars where I just I go back to that moment, and I remember. I remember what God has done. We all have these. And I think when we're going through really difficult times, when we are in pain and confusion, I, I know for me it's these stories in my life that keep me just sometimes limping along the path of faith, but they just keep me holding on. Now, the passage today opens up with Passover. And Passover was the time when the Jewish people would come together as a nation and they would remember what God had done for them. They would look back and they would remember that God freed them from slavery, that he liberated them from Egypt. And they would come together and they would hope. They would hope that God would come into their present darkness and that he would free them once again. But for the people at this dinner table, they're not just thinking about what God had done long ago. They're thinking about God and how he had entered into their present darkness and freed their brother and their friend Lazarus from death. I mean, this is a, a profound and personal experience of the power of God. So their dinner was a celebration. And you have Jesus at the table and his disciples, and you have Lazarus. And then you have Lazarus' sister, Martha. She's, she's back in the kitchen, and she's preparing this meal for the celebration. And then you have Lazarus' other sister, Mary. Now, Mary has this history of being a bit unconventional at dinner parties. <laughs> the last dinner party she was at, instead of being in the kitchen, she's out with the men at the feet of Jesus learning as a disciple, which is a pretty outrageous thing. But this time, oh no, this time she goes even further. Mary, who is just so overwhelmed, so overcome with the love that she had experienced from Jesus, 
what he had done for her and her family. She was just moved to act. So she goes and she takes this jar, this jar of very expensive perfume, this rich aromatic oil. It's worth a year's wages. This was her security. This is like a fully stocked retirement account. This is her fallback. She takes this jar and she just breaks the bottle and she begins to pour it out onto Jesus. And then she removes her head veil and she lets her hair down, which would be an extremely provocative thing to do in this culture. And she takes her hair and begins to wipe the oil onto Jesus' feet. And John tells us that the aroma and the fragrance filled the entire house. Now, the way the Gospel of John tells this story, he says the men at the table were very uncomfortable. They were very confused. You have this woman on the floor, her hair's down. They start to kind of grumble. And then Judas speaks out. And he says, why this waste? This jar, it could have been sold. A year's wages. We could have used that money. We, we could have given it to the poor. Why this waste, Mary? And, you know, I, I have to stop and I have to think, okay, how would we have responded to this? I, I know for me, I can imagine myself in Martha's sandals wanting to come in the room, grab my sister by the hair, and just start dragging her out. I can sympathize with the men feeling uncomfortable at this display, you know? I mean, is, is this appropriate? Has she gone too far? This is really confusing. And honestly, I can even understand the words of Judas. I mean, this thing's worth a lot of money. We could have done so much good with this, and you just break it open and pour it out. I, I can understand that. But how does Jesus respond? He says, leave her alone. I love what the Gospel of Mark says. He says, she has done a beautiful thing for me, a beautiful thing. She has prepared my body for burial. She has anointed me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not. You will not always have me. She's done a beautiful thing. Mary had experienced something so profound. She was so compelled to express her gratitude and her devotion, and she let nothing stand in her way between her and Jesus, not the judging and the uncomfortable eyes of the men in the room, not the rules of her society and her culture, not the shock of her own siblings as she let down her hair, not Judas and his harsh words of criticism. She dared to believe that she was safe, that she was loved, that she was welcomed, that she was always, always invited into the presence of Jesus. And she broke that bottle and she poured everything out. She held nothing back, not her oil, not her security, not her pride, not her tears. She gave all of herself in this incredible act of worship. 
The writer Frank Viola talked about the story, and he said that Mary's loving act of anointing Jesus with the most expensive item she owned is one case among several where a woman gets it right while the men got it wrong. I know, I can't, I can't help it. No, but really, it's, it's, it's what makes this story so compelling because God uses this ordinary woman. She's like any one of us in this room. He uses her in the role of both a priest and a prophet. As a priest, she anoints Jesus as king. But he's not like any king they've ever seen before. He's not using force or violence or compulsion on these people. And as a prophet, whether she fully comprehends what she's doing or not, she foreshadows his coming death and she prepares him. It's incredible. Mary intuitively understood what everyone else in the room was missing. And Jesus had been telling them all along, I am headed for a cross. I am headed for a cross. But they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. They resisted the path of the cross. But Mary knew. She knew that soon Jesus would be broken and poured out just like that bottle. Broken and poured out for the world, compelled by his love. You know, I keep going back to the way Mark tells it because I like it a little better. But uh, the way it ends in Mark is Jesus says that wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, the story will be told in memory of her. I mean, it's 2,000 years later. We're talking about the life of Jesus, and we remember Mary. We remember how she experienced his goodness, his love, and his grace to the point that it overflowed and just came right back out in this incredible act of worship. And when I think about it, I just begin to see this endless cycle, this, this loop of God's grace, and it's what we are all invited into. God invites us to join this beautiful dance where his love and his grace begin to fill us and it begins to transform us and then it just overflows and it's poured back out in gratitude in worship and in love for all the people that we brush up against it changes us and then it begins to change the world around us so today I just want us to stop and remember I want us to remember his goodness. And I think we all need to once again experience that endless loop of his grace. And maybe you're like me, and this is something that I have wrestled with a lot this year, is that sometimes I can become so caught up in whatever it is I'm struggling with, whatever burden I have, my to-do list, even my own spiritual doubts, that I just kind of start to drown in that, and I forget. I, I forget. I, I don't remember God's love for me. I, I stop paying attention to all these 
amazing, simple, beautiful, sacred moments that happen every day, just the mundane things where God shows his love for us. I somehow am missing it, and I have to stop, and I have to go back to all those altars, and I have to remember, and then I have to ask God to open my eyes and help me to see the sea of his grace that is all around us all the time. I'm going to go ahead and have the praise team come up. And right now, I want to ask you to just think of a very specific time where you experience the love of God. It can be so simple and small. It can be profound. It happens every day. And I want you to just think of a moment and hold that moment in your mind and hold on to it as you come up to take communion today. Maybe even write it down. Maybe even tell somebody about it. Make an altar today that you can go back to when you're having a difficult time and remember. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then I invite you to just come up. Jesus, I just ask you to help us remember As we come forward today and take of the bread and the cup, we will once again together remember what you've done. Help us to remember how you became one of us, how you entered in into our darkness. God, help us to remember how you experienced our brokenness and how you poured yourself out for us. As we take of the bread and the cup, let us remember your body broken and your blood poured out. And we ask you to once again fill us with your peace, fill us with your love, fill us with your grace, and let it overflow into the world around us, God. <clears throat>